I think we're uncomfortable and we don't know how to sit with our own discomfort and we certainly don't know how to sit with the pain of others. And, um, but you have to tell these stories and you have to make space and you have to be able to articulate this stuff in order for healing to happen. Oh my gosh, 2018. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. Aren't we supposed to be dead by now? I wish to be dead. <laughs> I can't believe Y2K fell, fell, <laughs> fell flat. 2001, I thought for sure we were goners. Do you remember where you were for Y2K? Uh, yeah, I think I was still living in Indiana and I was working for Target. And we sold out of uh, batteries and I think we never we didn't typically carry generators, but we started carrying them right around then. Battery some, operated generators. No, some brilliant, <laughs> some brilliant person who was just like, all right, target, we need to carry generators because people are going to buy these. Oh yeah. Because they think the world's going down. Retail genius. Sold out of all of that stuff. I'm sure you did. Flashlights, well, batteries. I'm glad nobody panicked on the switch over from 2017 to 2018. <laughs> I hope you guys all had a safe and happy January. Welcome to February. Here we go. We're back. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. And we have got some tasty stuff for you this year. Man, it's this already is in the so can. fun. It's already in the can. We've been, we've been interviewing like uh, crazy people for the past two months. Like mad scientists. We, yeah. have, we have beakers and Bunsen burners. I do have beakers. And schematics. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful in, in the lab here, in the beat lab. Oh, my gosh. So who do we got today, man? This, have, is, this is such a great way to kick off the year, by the way. Ah, uh, dude. We, all right. So we were, we, we just, this one's fresh. This one's fresh. Well, not by the time this comes out, but, <laughs> but it's fresh now because we interviewed her tonight. But uh, this one is a, a long time coming. Uh, her name is Carol Howard Merritt. And uh, uh, we've been actually following her for a while. Um, checked out her book a while back. And um, um, healing spiritual wounds. And it's, uh, it's an incredible book. She's doing great work. Um, follow her on social media and just for whatever reason, just never, uh, got around to doing the interview. And then finally we were like, you know, we take the month of January off. We're like, let's sit down and, and really start scheduling up some interviews. And I was like, we need to talk to Carol Howard. Oh, yeah, we do. And we did. And it was awesome. It was freaking awesome. And we're just going to get right to it. So yeah, we don't really need a whole lot of banter when you guys hear the title of her book, if you're not familiar with it already. Yeah. But the reason we got Carol freaking Howard freaking Merritt on is because... Missed one of them. Carol freaking <laughs> Howard freaking Merritt? No, maybe you did get it all. I think I got it all. My apologies. Well, that's all right. We've had a couple beers. That's true. So it's, her book is called Healing Spiritual Wounds. And I just know that there's got to be at least one or two of you out there that would maybe categorize yourself as having or having had or maybe even having given a spiritual wound and you would like to have a conversation about that. This is the hour where that is going to happen. This is your podcast episode. Yeah. Carol freaking Howard, freaking Merritt and healing spiritual wounds. <laughs> I, I love when we get the three name people because I get to say freaking even more. My seven Enneagram likes it. Everybody else. 
you can just deal with my enthusiasm. Sorry, guys. Uh, it's a really great book, and a couple things that I have to say before we get into it. This is not only a book that deals with something incredibly practical and concrete and, and something that is going to hit you right where you're at, probably, if, if you're listening to this podcast right now. It's also just really, really well-written. Yeah. That was my first, my first reaction is I remember I, I, I texted, texted you about yeah. it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I just started dipping into this book. And it's like, you always appreciate, like, we, we understand that we have some heady academic guests on sometimes and not, and like academia or like, you know, the intelligence factor doesn't always translate to uh, an interesting read. Right, right, right. Sometimes it's a little dry. Yeah. But this one is just like, just beautifully written. Um, I, we've had the fortunate luck to have had some other uh, previous guests on who, who very similar, you know, like your, your Glenn and Doyle Mountains or your Sarah Bessies, um, who, who not only have the, uh, you know, the knowledge in that specific area of expertise, mm-hmm. but like can also put it in a, a really well-written, beautiful way. And this mm-hmm. is definitely one of those. Yep. I could not recommend this book enough. No, it, it's really great stuff. And, and throw out any preconceived notions that this is going to be um, overly emotional or overly syrupy um, kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's brass tacks. It's really, really concrete. It's really practical. Yeah. Um, it's really well-rounded. Mm. Um, it touches into the mystical. It touches into the emotional. It touches into the uh, intellectual. It, it, it really hits on and really all of those areas, in my opinion. So let's get to the interview, man. Let's do it. It's freaking rock and roll. <laughs> let's let them have this stuff. You ready? Um, yeah, we're really glad to be back with you guys. And oh, before we forget, oh yeah, we we have um, we have a survey of sorts that we need to take. Oh yeah, we need to have our listeners take rather. So is that out? Um, it might be by this point. <laughs> but either way, let's get them prepared. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. So so we are uh, trying to do some live shows, as we've mentioned uh, at the year end. We're trying to do some live shows, and we have selected a date uh, or a, a city rather a city. Uh, that we were are interested in trying to do a live show on, but we need your help. We need to know how many people would be actually be interested in showing up for this sort of thing. Um, and we're looking at at uh, early spring, so April, Mayish, somewhere around there. And we're going to give more information um, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out. We are looking to do Denver, Colorado. Congratulations, Denver. Colorado. You are the first one on the list. If you live in the Denver area or are willing to get to the Denver area, <laughs> we have got a survey for you. We need to know if you would come out yeah. and hang with us. So we need to know what type of venue we need to be looking for. So we need to know how many of you are interested in coming out for a live show. Yep. Um, and, and so um, we'll have more information on that in hopefully the show notes yep. as this comes out and, of course, social media. Uh, so let us know, and also, um, if any of you who live in the Denver area would be willing to help us um, as our um, street team, essentially, we get the word help. out. We, we need, need some, some help. We need some participation. Email us yep. at deconstructionistpodcast at gmail.com, and let us know if, that, you know if you'd be interested, and we will get you details on how you can help. And that would be hugely, hugely, hugely beneficial to us. Yes. Let's have some fun. And uh, without further ado, yes. here we go with Carol How- Howard, freaking Howard, freaking Howard, freaking Merritt. Merritt. There you go. All right, there we go.
Howard Merritt, Carol, thank you so much. Um, it is, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on, but thanks for spending an evening with us talking about all kinds of things around deconstruction and spirituality and the journey and healing spiritual wounds. We just really appreciate you giving us some time tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a thrill to be here. Absolutely. So one of the places we like to start with, with all, our, all of our guests is to, uh, Talk a little bit about um, your upbringing and kind of how you came into the work that, that you do currently. Well, let's see. I grew up in Florida near the beach. Mm. So, um, you know, kind of have a love for the, the water and the ocean. And I grew up Baptist. And um, there's like a lot of kinds of Baptists, right, in the world. There's wonderful Baptists. I grew up the mean Baptists. They were just mean Baptists. So mostly, mostly Baptist. Um, and, uh, um, let's see, third child of a family. Um, and I guess how I came into this work was, um, you know, I, I'm a pastor Mm -hmm. and, um, and when you grow up mean Baptist, like there's no being a pastor for a woman, no, you know? right. <laughs> no. So, so I, you know, but, but there was this, this thing that happened and, um, it, and what happened was, I, I like there, our, our family was very violent and there was a lot of abuse in our home. Mm. And, um, and in a lot of ways, I think think that the church was a little bit complicit mm. in that abuse. And, um, and so I would pray like in the midst of it, like I would just pray. And, um, and it was, it's kind of this weird thing because I was really wrestling with my faith and really wrestling with like the realization that, there was an origin of this abuse kind of coming from the faith, whether, you know, my religion was being used as an excuse or whether it was being used as, um, as a reason, it, it was still sort of complicit in the formula. So, so anyways, I just would pray though, when, when, the abuse was happening. And I realized like, even though religion was this force for violence in our home, there was also like this healing moment too, for me. Mm. And, and so, you know, it, it kind of propelled me to be a minister. And then there, there's this funny thing that happens when you're a pastor or teacher or whatever. You start to kind of, um, it, it happens on social media too. It's kind of like that too. But you start to resonate with people on this weird level. And so a lot of my churches, the new members would be people who had the same issues and people who had the same problems, people who grew up 
fundamentalist or evangelical conservative and who had been wounded. And so, um, so I began to kind of explore, well, how can we heal from this? How can we re- change our thinking? And, and it, it became sort of my life's work. Mm. That's so good. And by the way, uh, your, your book, which John and I both have just really enjoyed digging into and, and getting acquainted with your work. You're just a really good writer, first of all. Yeah. Oh, good. Like, congrats. I'm kind of virtually patting you on the back. All right. <laughs> yeah. It's not just good content. You're just a really enjoy, like, I like reading your words. You're good with them. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, no, no problem. It's always good to start with a compliment, right? Brace the <laughs> yeah. ice. Now I'm going to throw you a, a tough, hardball question. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I, I just love so much about this. And in your story, um, just dovetailing right off of what you just told us kind of about who you are, it actually reminded me a little bit of like, Henry Nowen, how he, how he always talked about like the broken healers. Yeah, right. I think that's but, I think that's so true in, in what you're saying. And so you you talk about how you know you had this this Baptist mean mean bad like that <laughs> mean Baptist. I think there's a lot of people that can relate to that mean Baptist upbringing. Then you go to Bible school, which is like wow, why would she do that? And then you become Presbyterian. You go to seminary, and you say in your book that you found you you became Presbyterian. You went to seminary. And it says you found ways to deconstruct and reconstruct how you understood religion. You realized God was calling you to help people to separate religious wounds from their positive experiences of God and to restore the latter. And I found that so interesting because many people, a lot of the people that we encounter in this space think um, or have thought or have maybe been told that, that deconstruction or kind of what you were talking about there is this unwanted sort of negative process that happens once you've either hit your limit or you've been broken or, you know, it's, it's this, but it almost sounds like you embraced it like as a positive and used it as part of your calling. Um, am, am I completely nuts or can you talk about that a little bit? Oh no, absolutely. I think that we end up, um, whenever we're struggling with our religious past or even when we are just making faith our own in some ways. Mm. We have to kind of pull it apart. We have to rethink it. We have to look at it from different angles. We have to, um, we have to break it down to the bare minimum, try to figure out what makes sense, what doesn't. And for many of us, this is just a really natural part of our spiritual lives. The bad part is that, um, you're right. People look at deconstruction as a bad thing, or they they think of it as um, you know, like you're never allowed to doubt or ask questions or struggle with your faith. But for me, and for so many people, I think it it makes the faith come alive. Like it mm. makes religion your own in in a very different way. So you're no longer being just spoon fed. Um, all of these ideals, but you're, you're saying, wait, this doesn't make sense, or this does make sense. Um, so a lot of that process happens in seminary Mm. and, um, they, they kind of almost intentionally, at least my seminary, they almost intentionally just want to strip you of every preconceived notion that you had before going in. And then slowly you, you start to build things back up. Mm. 
And that's been a lot of my ministry and, uh, you know, a lot of my work is just like, well, how can we, how can we salvage this? You oh, know, so good. And so much of it is like taking it apart. So you would actually say that like deconstruction can be actually part of the healing. Oh yeah. I think it has to be. I agree. You? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> this is a deconstructionist podcast. That's right. right? We, but we're trying to make it, we're trying to get people to realize that it's a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary though. Isn't totally. it? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It's, to- it's horrifyingly scary, especially when you're used to certitude. Yeah. And, you know, we like as a fundamentalist or evangelical, um, I kind of believe that my religion was this house of cards. And if you pulled one card out, then everything would be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, I remember, you know, questioning some facts about the Bible or seeing different things that didn't quite fit together. And I just remember, you know, teachers telling me, oh, no, you can't question it. It, it fits together. It all works because, you know, if, if you question one thing, then the whole thing's irrelevant. Oh, yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's just Ridiculous. So, you know, you kind of think of it as um, if, if you think of the deconstruction as being not a house of cards, but bricks that you're taking apart and that you're looking at and that you're um, salvaging some parts, you're throwing away others. It's a, it's a powerful process. Absolutely. Mm. So, so I, I think what's so fascinating about this book is that not only do you have your personal story kind of infused throughout, but you also have stories of other individuals that you encounter in various, um, I guess, stages or um, you kind of talk about the spectrum of, of um, spiritual um, wounding, you know, from, from anything from something very, very minor to something very, very major and, and very, very serious. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting is, is at the very, very beginning of the book, you talk about your upbringing and, and how you, you suffered the spiritual abuse uh, within your own family, the context of your own family, mm. and yet you end up going to seminary. And I know a lot of people are like, "Wait, wh- what?" You what? know, like doesn't make any sense. You had every reason in the world to kind of kick religion to the curb, mm-hmm. and so, so what was it that kept you hanging on, and ultimately led to you writing a book on on spiritual wounding? Well, I, I tell this story in the book, but. I just remember very palpably like this, this one afternoon, it was Saturday afternoon and my parents were fighting in the kitchen and I was kind of down the hall in a bedroom and I could hear them fighting and I was sort of the peacemaker in the family. So my dad didn't hit me. So I would go in and stand between him and whoever he was hitting and, um, and kind of plead or beg or cry or whatever. So I was sitting there by my bedroom door listening to see, you know, if, if things had gotten violent. I could hear dishes, you know, being, being thrown, but I couldn't tell if they were just being put up in a noisy manner, or if, you know, if they were throwing things. So, so I'm sitting there and, um, and I started, I don't know if it maybe like a mild panic attack. I don't know. But I was just like, I, I noticed I was wringing my hands 
and I was pacing back and forth and, mm. and, um, just like the anxiety was very palpable. Right. And so I'm, I'm pacing back and forth and I'm trying to think, you know, not only, well, do I need to go in and, and break up this fight, but also what am I going to do? Like, if things got too difficult at home, how was I going to stay safe? And, you know, I, I started thinking, well, I could go to a friend and a friend's house and, um, and, you know, I, I was saving up money to try to make some sort of escape. And I was trying to, you know, figure this all out in my head. And, um, so just, you know, how to, how to escape and it was just kind of interesting because I sat down and I started breathing and I felt this, um, this very real peace come over me. And it wasn't, you know, it was like getting an epidural, which you guys don't know anything about. But, or maybe no. you do, unless no. you've had like spinal. No. Uh, I have spinal had a spinal tap. I actually did have yeah. a spinal tap once, and it was <laughs> not fun. Did you have epidural? Uh, yeah, I had a spinal tap. I had meningitis my freshman year of college. Oh, it was wow. the most was, horrific experience of I my life. Forget about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so like the the feeling of this is just like it's real painful at first, and then all of a sudden you can't feel anything. We I had one when I gave birth, right? Yeah. Um, and it felt like that, like all of a sudden there was this peace that just overcame me and it was like a presence. Mm. And I realized at that moment that, you know, what I was saying before, there was this violence that was happening and there was this peace that was happening. And I knew that, um, I knew that it had the same root, you know, that, that religion was doing a lot of it. Like my, my dad would, my dad would often like scream first Timothy, you must submit as he was like, you know, being violent. Uh. So, you know, I knew that there was these, um, yeah, I knew, I knew that religion was the problem and the solution. And, um, and so it, it became this question in my mind, this puzzle in my mind, how can we begin to, um, have a more life giving faith? How can we kind of, I, I just wanted to, to strain it out of, you know, the, the religion that I had grown up with. I wanted to take every bit of life-giving, good, peaceful thing out of um, what I had been given. And so that, that became my project in, in my work, my life. And it's a shame what we've become When we hurt the ones we love and it's a place I cannot go anymore. When we I, I'm so I'm so glad you just ended there because my next question just fits perfectly onto that. <laughs> Always nice when that happens. Uh, well, 
there's there's so many interesting things about your approach that I, I think that people are li- that are listening to this are going to find um, at first unusual, but then at, at second glance, um, I, I hope that people are patient enough to say, no, there's really something deeply wise about this and how you talk um, just now, how you talked about, you know, it's it was the wounding, but it's also part of the healing. That was that was the thing that honestly stuck with me most throughout your book. Um, you know, when you were talking about some of these uh, cases, like uh, the man you met at the party, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, was gay and uh, rejected and uh, felt like he needed to reject religion but couldn't. And how he talked about, um, the quote from your book is, um, he said, you know, over the years I found out that Christianity is like an appendage, like an arm or a leg, and I, I can't throw it away. I've tried, and I'm just left with this hole. Finally, I had to admit that being a Christian was much a part of me as, as being gay, he said. And you bring this back to God being the wounding and the healing. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you use the passage where, you know, come, let us return to the Lord for it is the Lord who has, or is, it is God who has torn and God will heal us. God is struck down and God will bind up. And, you know, you don't try to make like logical sense out of that. You know, you, you, you give it its poetic latitude but I think there, you know, I, I know now from reading this that there's something so brilliant and, and paradoxical and counterintuitive about how you frame God up as part of the wounding and part of the healing. Could you just keep talking about that? Because I just think that that's where a lot of the power uh, of your approach comes in. Well, yeah, that was uh, a passage from Hosea, which is a fascinating book, right? (laughs) (laughs) To put it mildly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So, um, but Hosea talks about, or there's this, you know, poetry in the midst of it. And to me, like, it's just from uh, the people's perspective. Like, that's what they they felt like, you know, God has wounded us, God will heal us. And, um, and I don't think that God's going around wounding people, but I do understand that feeling. I do understand that cry. I do understand, um, that just gut wrenching, um, mournfulness of God, why are you doing this to me? You know, what, what are you doing? And I think in all of that, there is, you know, the problem of what, what theologians call theodicy. So you've got these three things happening. Um, God is love. God is all powerful and bad things happen. (laughs) So how does a loving, all powerful God allow bad things to happen? And, and what do we do with those three things? You know, how do, how do we make sense of, of those three things and, and how they fit together? So for me personally, I would say like, if I have to fudge on one of those three things, I'm going to fudge on God is all powerful or at least that power is exhibited, you know, in, in, in different ways in the world. So, you know, I, I, I have to believe in a loving God and, um, and I know that bad things happen. So I think that's where I would fudge. I don't, where would you fudge? 
Well, it's got to be the power thing because, you know, even, even in fantasy, you know, I, I, I've got young kids. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting the, the joy and the privilege of rewatching Disney's entire catalog, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's so funny in Aladdin when the genie comes out of the lamp and he can do anything, you know, phenomenal cosmic power. <laughs> and, uh, but he's like, there's, but, but there's like three things that, you know, I can't do. I can't bring people back from the dead. Right. I can't make people fall in love. And I can't even remember what the last one is, but like we, we do know that the whole idea of all powerful is a category that makes no sense anyway. Yeah. Like that, that's not, like if all powerful meaning what? Meaning that there's no freedom, meaning that there's no choice, meaning that there's no limits, that uh, all powerful now means that there literally are no categories. It's completely category shattering. So yeah, yeah I don't think we, we, we know what we mean when we say God is all powerful and we know that he limits his own power in Jesus. And the Bible talks about that in kenosis and think, yeah, so I'm with you. Long answer. Sorry. Yeah. I'm rambling. Yeah. No, no, no. I asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, John? <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I think, I think, um, that's why I'm so attracted. I think to like weak theology. There's, yes. I think God oftentimes shows his power through his weakness, through his vulnerability. And, um, so yeah, I agree. I would have to, I would have to fudge that one as well. A little Caputo there. Uh, I can't, yeah. yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't buy into this whole thing if I didn't believe in a loving God. So right. we have to start there. Yeah. So when I, I read that Hosea passage of, you know, God will, God will wound us and God will bind us up. It makes me think, you know, not in the sense of, oh, this is a theological truth. It's, oh yeah, I know that feeling, mm, you know, yeah. this is an existential truth. That's so good, Carol. That, you know, I, I know how that feels. Mm. So one of the things that I think we're, we're kind of getting into here that I would love to hear you talk about is you talk about in your, in your book about spiritual wounds, having the weight of God behind them. Yes. And the, the first thing that came to my mind and when Adam and I were talking about this before, before the interview started is, is we, we tend to do the same thing with our customer service experiences that we do <laughs> with, with our negative religious experiences. And I know for one that I, I did this as well when I had a negative religious experience as an adolescent, um, where just the same thing is if, if I had gone to Target and had a horrible experience we tend to blame target. We say, Oh, target stinks, you know, whatever. <laughs> Instead of saying maybe perhaps it was the associate working at target that particular day, maybe they're having a bad day or something, <laughs> but they happen right. to be the representative of the company. Right. But we blame the company. We, we paint in broad strokes. And, and so we do the same. I think we do the same thing uh, when we, when we have spiritual woundings where, you know, we have a negative experience. And so for me, it took many, many years for me to, um, uh, I guess separate uh, God from God's representatives, as it were, um, and I think that's that's you, you definitely talk about that in, in your book, and and so how do we begin that process of distinguishing between the two? Because obviously you were able to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I mean, for me, it was uh, praying God the Father, you know. Um, and imagining God as father. Mm. For me, that was sort of my central metaphor in my religious life. It was who we prayed to in church. Um, 
was always Father God. And so I had a really hard time separating Father God from um, from my volatile father. And, and so what I needed to do when I began to imagine God is um, I needed to understand that this volatile father did not have anything to do with God as, um, as a being and a power and a force in my life. And so there's a lot of ways that people do this. And, and I bring up a lot of ways. Sometimes like we have to sing and kind of rewire our brains. Oftentimes we have to um, get rid of the images of a vengeful God uh, out of um, our, our thinking and our theology and the ways that we talk about God. Um, and, and for me, it was, I learned something um, with somebody who was going through AA, and he was like, there's that second step where it talks about higher power. Mm-hmm. And um, he had been wounded by a pedophile priest. And so he was, he, he was, he said he couldn't hear the word Jesus without having a physical reaction. He would get physically nauseous when he heard the word Jesus and he couldn't go into church. And so he's like going through AA, going through the second step and he didn't know what to do. So we were talking about it and he was like, okay, I think if I don't say God, but I just think God is love, then I can do this. Like I can wrap my head around this. And so, you know, anytime he would think about a Sunday school um, story that didn't fit with God is love, he would just throw it out. Anytime he would think about, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, attack by the priest, he would throw it out. Anytime he thought about anything that didn't completely make sense in, as a loving God, you know, he would just say, is this what a loving God would do? Mm. No, throw it out. You know, would a loving God want this to happen? No, throw it out. And so in that way, he was able to separate um, God from these, you know, horrible things that had happened to him. And as we were talking, I was like, yeah, that's, that's it, right? That's, that's what I need to do. And so I just began to, you know, retrain myself. And so when I would think of um, kind of the vengeful thoughts or for me, I would like catch myself just going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I would be praying to God. Mm. And um, and then I would think, like, what am I sorry about? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it was just like I, that fear and anxiety of, you know, having a vengeful God. And I would think, okay, God's not trying to get me. Um, and mm. is this a loving God I'm imagining? Wow. If it's not, I need to rethink 
you know, my, my idea of God. Mm. So I used a lot of prayer and meditation and song, like Taze songs, which are very prayerful songs. Yeah. One of the, one of the interesting things I thought that you did was you used the word um, shalom, and, uh-huh. and you define it um, in a way that I think most of us have heard before. You know, it means it means peace, but you also mentioned the fact that it also means wholeness, and and you use it in the form of prayer. But what talk about what what does that term mean to you, and how and how do you apply it? Mm. Yeah, I love this word. It it's um, you know means peace between treaties or between nations. It has like a, uh, an official sense. Um, it has this sense of, uh, you know, just a greeting. It's used as a greeting. It's used in an economic aspect. Mm. It has, you know, the three same roots. Um, Hebrew has three roots, three root letters. So it has the same three root letters as it was paid for. So there's a sense of economic equity Mm. also in there Mm. or economic justice. And it has a sense of wholeness. And, um, and it, that was really important to me, you know, as I was, I was talking to that guy at the party who said that, you know, trying to leave Christianity was like losing an arm or a leg. You know, it made me realize how much I needed to go back and reclaim some of, um, some of the beliefs that I believed as a kid. And I don't mean reclaim it as in believe them again. What I mean is, um, I was getting weird. Like (laughs) I wouldn't tell, I went to a fundamentalist Bible school and I wouldn't tell people where I went to school. Like I would, I I would never lie, but I would avoid it. Or, um, I just wouldn't tell them like the whole story about my past. And I realized I was doing basically what he was doing. I was trying to cut myself off from Mm. my past and just say, I was like, well, that has nothing to do with me. It's, it's something else. And I began to feel very fragmented in a lot of ways. So I needed to figure out how to, um, reincorporate that past experience and those past beliefs in my life. Um, not to believe them again, but somehow to acknowledge them and give them the respect that they needed um, instead of trying to deny my history. It was kind of like, you know, like I lived in a trailer park and I didn't want to, and I wasn't proud of it, you know, and you you can't live like that way, right? You have to be authentic. So I began to imagine... Um, imagine myself as a little kid and this is something Thich Nhat Hanh talks a lot about. I never say his name right. Do you say Adam is literally reading his book right now. I'm I'm, 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 I'm freaking out right now, Carol, because before we started this interview, I was like, so much of what she said is hitting me in the same way that this Thich Nhat Hanh book is hitting me right now. You are freaking me out right now, Carol. (laughs) 
Well, his his work has been very powerful. To me too. To me too. Oh my gosh. We're friends now. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, he has this sense of like holding yourself on your lap and listening to yourself and having compassion. Smile to your wound. Yeah. Hold it like a baby. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I needed to do. Like I, I was taught these things, you know? And so I began to just like meditate on that, you know, listening to what, um, what was there about like my homophobic beliefs or my sexist beliefs or my racist beliefs, like, um, you know, just giving myself some compassion for that instead of just hating myself, Mm. um, and forgiving myself and, and all of that. And, you know, listening to, um, that wound, like you said, you know, what, what is it saying? What, what is it teaching me? Um, uh, what did I get from these beliefs that were so twisted um, and just, you know, uh, embracing myself and surrounding myself with compassion? And we hope for better days, for better days. I totally forgot your original question. Did I answer it? I think so. Yeah. No, you're fine. That was good. It was so good. You just, sometimes you just got to go. You just got to keep going. Uh, All right. Good. I can go. That was was great. That was so good. I can, by the way, I just completely, before I get to my question, I just completely agree. I think one of the biggest things I've learned recently is how I carry around the old fundamentalist version of myself everywhere I go. And if I, if I can't love that guy, <laughs> if I can't love that jackass, <laughs> then uh, I'm really going to struggle loving anyone. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been, that's been big for me. Um, this, this really gets into a little bit of a, a concept we talk a lot about on the podcast where, you know, as we've just kind of talked about um, using shalom uh, in reframing the image of God. Mm-hmm. and how our image of God is so important because these wounds that we get, that we receive from people or that uh, we give to other people are often so powerful because they carry the weight of God, as you say in your mm-hmm. book. And so uh, the weight of God is, is obviously, you know, a, a big deal. And when these wounds carry the weight of God, the image of God plays into that. And to get to my question here, one of the things that we talk about on the podcast is how that image of God that we all have oftentimes is either inherited or even a better word might be transmitted mm-hmm. to us. And so this reframing it or reforming it um, gets to this idea that we talk about on this podcast of belief by proxy. Mm. So it, it's something that we see is so rampant and such a problem. And I, John and I have had countless conversations of how many of the people that have experienced so much hurt that we have come in contact with, um, it would look different if they had, had um, not had belief by proxy either through their parents or through their, uh, 
their you know celebrity pastor or through or through the person that they were told has the answer to everything and so much of that image of god that ends up inflicting these wounds is this idea of of belief by proxy and i, I just I was wondering, as somebody that's worked in this field uh, and in this space for a while, uh, what are some of your thoughts are on, so, on some ways that we can start to tackle this, this epidemic of just belief by proxy and how um, we inherit and, and get transmitted these images of God and just think that they cannot be touched? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I said before, you know, you start to touch it and people get really freaked out. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can't do about, that. You can't do yeah, that. Uh, I think I said something about Mother God on Facebook. and oh um, Yeah. How dare you? Really, yeah. <laughs> kind of flipped. But, um, that didn't go over well for Isaiah either. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, right. We, our culture is very much formed by these beliefs and um and it's interesting because if an anthropologist is going into uh a culture one of the first things that they do um many times is they they begin to look at the gods that that the people serve because um and the people worship because Typically, like the vision of that God will be reflected in the culture. Totally. And so, um, so if it's an angry and vengeful God, then typically it's an angry and vengeful people. And so, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, not only like the belief by proxy and the celebrity pastor and, um, or, you know, what we get from our parents, but also, like, what's in the water oh. in the United States? Yes, you know, yes. Why, why are God, why is God and um, guns so closely related? Oof, it's why odd. Is God and, like, patriotism and country, you know, why did we believe that? white people had a manifest destiny and mm. that, um, you know, we had some sort of like God given right to commit genocide uh. on native schools. Yeah. I mean, it, there's so much in our history and our soil that we really need to wrestle with yes. and to think about. Um, and it comes and I think a lot of times, you know, we don't think about it and, and it becomes a part of, um, just our culture and our, and our, uh, and our, the air that we breathe. Um, and it's extremely important, especially right now when, you know, the political climate, we're just seeing so many weird things happen. Yeah. It's a little odd. It's a little odd right now. (laughs) Yeah, the dash of terrifying. (laughs) Evangelical Christians are are kind of right behind it, and um, it's like they're not thinking, you know. And and yeah, I I think this proxy belief—I think you've got something there. Um, 
we're sort of switching things off and, and not a thinking that what has been handed down to us, uh, we can't touch, we can't reimagine, we can't, um, we can't reform in any way, but also, uh, just not realizing it. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual autopilot. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, w- one of the things I want to keep it along the same lines. And, and one of the things that really stuck out to me was, um, early in the book, you talk about, um, your interaction with this man at the party. And, um, one of the, the points in that story that really hit me, um, and kind of almost caught me off guard is that, um, you, you didn't do what I would think most, I think most Christian leaders are prone to do, which is, you know, toss their favorite Bible verses at him or give him some sort of like, just, you know, wonderful advice, you know, or tell him, oh, it's all in God's plan. You just said you are good. And that caught me in such a crazy way. Like I found myself getting emotional at work at, you know, um, which is awkward for everyone, I'm sure. But, um, (laughs) but, but almost like I needed to hear it too. And, and what was, what, what really struck me about it, um, is that our theology seems to be very contrary, uh, to that approach. Um, and what I mean by that is we're kind of, it's kind of ingrained in us from birth that we're not good, uh, mm-hmm. that we're flawed, that we're broken, that we're fallen, and we're kind of almost born into shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, for this, this guy that you're talking to at the party, you know, he's experiencing, um, you know, being ashamed of his own sexuality. And so uh, how do we, yeah, how do we, I mean, I don't even know if there's a question there, but. <laughs> there is. It's just a difficult one. <laughs> yeah. It's just a difficult one. To, it's how do we, <laughs> yeah, how do we, how do we sit here and say with a straight face, like, you know, follow me uh, and, and be a Christian and, and, and you are good and God is love when the, the first, the very first day you're, you're alive, we essentially preach uh, through your entire life that, you know, qu- quite the opposite, right? This contrary message is just pounded into you from a very young age. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's where I want to pick us all up and say, oh my gosh, can you believe as little children, we were told that God wanted us to go to hell? Mm, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. What a sad thing that we were taught that or, um, or that we weren't good. You yeah. know, it's so sad that, you know, we teach children that. So, yeah, I think that was the hardest thing for me. Um, I have a practice in there that I learned from a, a spiritual director, um, and basically, he would he was he was thinking about Henry Nowen, his thoughts of the beloved. Yes, and, um, such, a, such a good book. Yes, yeah. And so he would look into the mirror and he would say the words um, that Jesus heard when he was baptized. And that was, you are my beloved um, in whom I am well pleased. And so he taught us to look in the mirror and to say, um, you are my beloved or I am God's beloved in whom God is well pleased. And honestly, I couldn't do it for probably a year without choking up. 
because I just didn't believe that I, um, that I deserved it. You know, I, I just didn't believe, and I would, I would argue with myself, you know, in my head thinking, oh no, these words are for Jesus. They're not for me. They're not for me. And, um, and again, you know, it's just so sad that here we are with this, um, this big wound of being told that God was angry with us, that God was sad about who we were, that we were not good. When so much of the Bible says, you know, almost the very first things that God says is you're good. (laughs) We're created in the image of God. Mm, Original Um, blessing, not original sin. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's incredibly important. And not only are do we have good spirits or good souls, but our bodies are good and our flesh and our blood. And, um, you know, these, these things are good. Yes. I, I think there's something to, to be learned from that, too, because I know for a fact that we have um, spiritual... Um, people in, in, in like religious leadership that listen to our show, uh, probably in a closet somewhere secretly, but they would, they would never, admit, they would never admit to it. Yeah. They're just checking us out to make sure they know what's going on out there. <laughs> Keeping a tab on us. But, <laughs> but I, but I know there are some that, that listen and I think your approach, um, was so good in, in the respect that it was almost like your only goal in that moment when you were speaking to that, that, that individual was to, almost leave a positive imprint on him, not to convert him or convince him of anything, but just to, to leave a positive impression on him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he definitely left an impression on me and, uh, it was one of those holy moments, Mm, you know, Yeah. just wow. Yeah. Mm. You know, to, to kind of tag on to what John was saying, you know, if there are people listening here that are in positions, um, you talk about in the book of just having, you know, power, you know, whether they know it or not. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, I think people know it all too well and maybe, mm. and maybe use it uh, in some of the wrong ways. Uh, what are some of the ways that you've seen um, religious leaders trying to help people, quote unquote, heal from spiritual wounds? And it's just almost making it worse or, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, not helpful. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, a lot of things that we do. We do a lot. We have a lot of tricks that we play. <laughs> Trick, tricks is a good word. Yeah. It's a good yeah. word for it, yes. Yeah, it, because, you know, this stuff is really uncomfortable, and um, and it doesn't feel good. Like, if somebody, especially when you're a pastor, if somebody starts telling you the ways in which they were screwed over, Mm-hmm. The first thing you want to do is you want to defend the the institution. And um, and so, you know, either it's like, oh, no, this couldn't have happened because this is going to be a nightmare legal battle. Uh-huh. Or, oh, no, this, you know, so you, you kind of like flip into defensive mode. You want to defend the church, defend the institution. And then you kind of want to defend God, you know, so you, 
So you begin to say, well, God has a plan and everything's going to work out for the good. And, and so you begin to defend God. The church doesn't need our defense and neither does God. And, and what we need is people who are going to sit in that for a while. Mm. Um, I think that's, you know, kind of the beauty of the cross I've had people say to me, well, um, you just think that God died in vain, that Jesus died in vain. And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> I think that Jesus died in vain because terrible things happen to, to people a lot. And um, I think the truth of the cross is that sometimes we have to sit with these terrible things and, um, and suffer with people. And so what we do uh, as pastors, oftentimes we will do some spiritual gaslighting. Like, we'll oh, wow. say, like you know, well, are you sure that's, that's what happened? Maybe you don't understand the full depth of what happened. Um, or we, uh, we victim blame. So women have been told by spiritual leaders for many, many years that, well, maybe it's in the way that you presented yourself. Maybe that's why you were assaulted. Um, or, you know, oftentimes women uh, are in the purity movement, like they're, they're responsible for every sexual act that happens. Um, or we end up, uh, or we end up like jumping to forgiveness too soon. And it's not, it's not because we care about reconciliation or spiritual health. It's because we're trying to use forgiveness to get the problem taken care of and out of our office as soon as possible. So yeah, we do a lot of these tricks and, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that we always do it for evil intents and purposes. I think we're uncomfortable and we don't know how to sit with our own discomfort yep. and we certainly don't know how to sit with the pain of others. And, um, but you have to tell these stories and you have to make space and you have to be able to articulate this stuff in order for healing to happen. Mm. Well, I hope that people um, come to you in your, in your writings and in, in your uh, content that's online. And I hope they read people like Thich Nhat Hanh, even though, uh, oh, yes. my, oh my gosh, reading a Buddhist, if you're a Christian, holy cow, <laughs> what are we going to do? Um, and, you know, even our, even our buddy Pete Rollins talks about how, um, you know, symptoms, uh, you know, the French psycho, psychoanalyst um, Lacan would talk about how symptom mm -hmm. in, in French is sanham, and, which means, also means holy man, because, mm -hmm. because our symptoms are trying to prophesy to us, our symptoms are trying to tell us something, to come back to them, because the healing is there, actually. And I, I, there's so many connections between the people we have. <laughs> yeah. It's so yeah. neat. It's so, it's so neat. Um, I, I just have one more uh, question for you. I, I actually have about 100, but I have to 
I have to limit it to one. Um, there's something that I, you know, I've heard a number of times, and I, I would just love to get your thoughts on. Um, I spent about a uh, better part of a decade as a pastor myself and uh, encountered a lot of people with wounds. And um, something that I heard said quite a bit is that, you know, churches don't hurt people. People hurt people. And mm-hmm. I, I would just love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, churches are made up of people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so of course they hurt people, you know, of course we do. And, um, and it's just as much as, like, I want to keep that, that beautiful idea that we are good and we are, um, we are people who are made in the image of God and our core being is good, we also know from experience that people do terrible things to each other Mm. and, um, and churches are made of people. And sometimes, you know, we can see the institutions working to hide sexual misconduct or working to hide abuse or working to hide malfeasance. And, um, we do that often. And, um, and, we have to we have to come to terms with that. We have to be able to say, "Yeah, we did that. We were wrong. We were bad, and um, we need to apologize for that." And to think that somehow the church is completely free of um, of apology or free of culpability or free of any sort of guilt we're just not being honest. We're just not being honest. And, um, and it's not helpful. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Well, the, the last question that we want to, we want to end on before, um, before we let you go here is, is a question Mm -hmm. that I think a lot of our listeners are going to say, well, why didn't, why didn't you ask this at the beginning? Well, it's my podcast (laughs) and I do what I want. But (laughs) no, but the reason I want to end on is I think you, you, um, you define this in such a beautiful way. I think it's a, a lovely way to end. And that is the way that you actually define uh, religious or spiritual wounding through the three-part nature of love. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was such a cool way that you articulate the love of God, self, and neighbor that I would just love for you to kind of um, unpack that a little bit for our audience and and uh, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of, I, I wanted people to have a little bit of a diagnostic tool. You know, when we get uh, a physical cut or a physical wound, we can look down, we can see it, you know, we feel it. We have this very um, palpable sense that something is wrong. When we have a psychological, um, when something psychological has happened and we've been wounded, psychologically we're learning more and more how to deal with that and um we're we're getting more and more tools and and methodology and science and theories behind that but this idea of spiritual wounding um you know a lot of wonderful people have written about it but it's hard to identify how do we identify when we've had a spiritual wound and Sometimes the physical wounds and the um, the psychological wounds and the spiritual wounds they they all work together, 
But there does seem to be this other thing, right? This, this spiritual wound. So I was trying to think like of all the different ways that religion wounds us and it's, it can be, um, can just go on forever, um, multitude of ways. But, but I realized that usually there's a breakdown, um, of love of God, love of neighbor, love of self. So when you love God, then, uh, you know, there's, there's an image of God as a loving God and God loves you. And so, um, we know if we have a vengeful God, an angry God, a God who's always looking for, um, through the eyes of petty jealousy or, or vindictiveness, then we know there's something wrong, right? There, there's a wound somewhere. And so we can use that and say, okay, where did this come from? Where did this idea come from? How can I begin to rethink God and begin to love God in, in a healthier manner? Or there might be um, love of self. Um, I know, I, like I, I mentioned, I was uh, a Baptist with this like calling to go into ministry. And I was told because of my physical body parts, I was not allowed to be a pastor, you know. And <laughs> there is a deep-seated shame and hatred that you internalize when you're told things like that. And so, you know, sometimes that happens or um, people have been hurt through the sexual purity movement or people have been taught in like very, very vivid ways to hate themselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we need to begin to, uh, when we, realize that's happening, then we, we realize it's a spiritual wound. There's something that, uh, is broken that we need to begin to mend. And, um, and then just love of neighbor. And I think this is the thing that's so powerfully going on right now in our, um, in our society. So we have, you know, our religious political voice, the loudest religious political voices saying, you know, we really don't care if the president does terrible things to women. And we really don't care if the poor, the structures of our economic um, systems are making people poorer and poorer and poorer. And we really don't care about basically our neighbors. You know, we don't care about the immigrants who might be coming in for sanctuary. And we don't care about so many of these things that we are told to care about. Um, and there's this problem with love of neighbor. You know, if we're not able to love ourselves and love our neighbor, there's a wound there. There's There's something wrong. And so can we begin to... Um, rethink that and find out why our views are um, are skewed. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, those three things, love of God, love of neighbor, love of self, when they're working together, it's almost like a simple machine. They're, they're moving together. They're well-oiled. You know, there's, there's no blockage happening. Um, then we know that's what spiritual health looks like in, in a lot of ways or um, a healthy sense of spirituality looks like. So good. I love the way you articulate that in the book as well. It as each one flows over, almost overflows into the other. Yeah. So yeah. all three kind of blend when when it's working harmoniously. All three kind of flow into one another. I yeah, because like we're we're often told, oh well, don't love yourself. You know, you're just you'll just be a narcissist. But true love, yes, yes. <laughs> But, you know, true love of self is something that allows that to flow, that that love to flow from your neighbor to God. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's something that works well together. I totally agree, man. That's so good. That's good stuff, Carol Howard Merritt. Good. <laughs> that is some good stuff. Well, before we before we let you go, and this has been um, incredible, um, we we have to have you back in the future. I think I feel like we just scratched the surface. Um, yeah. People need to go out and get the books now. Get the books. Yeah. Get the bu- paperback book. Get the new paperback book. Well, yeah. So, which leads me to my next question, which is, where can people get the book? Because the, by the time this airs, the paperback will be out. And right. where can they stay on top of uh, what you're up to and what you're working on next? Well, um, you know, it's in a lot of Barnes and Noble stores or local bookstores. You can ask um, uh, all the online sources have it. So, um, yeah. So if it's not somewhere, you can ask for it and it can be easily shipped, I'm sure. <laughs> so always check your local bookstore first yes. and then, you know, uh, uh, in, independent bookstores, but yes, or Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> we, we use Amazon quite a bit. So do you? So, oh, yeah. do too. It's, it's hard like to fight, Carol. It's, it's so easy. Hard. It's so hard to fight it. <laughs> They ship it to I me know. in two days or less. It's kind of like, oh, okay, fine. I'm so I pathetic. Know, I, know. I know. And it's so much cheaper. Yeah. Too. In my defense, we do not have a good local bookstore anywhere near me. That's true. No, that's because Amazon killed them. Killed I them. Know. And the best one we have is on the other side of town, the book loft. Desecrating their graves by continuing to use Amazon. <laughs> yeah, if you're in Columbus <laughs> and you live near German Village, just go to the book loft. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. This has yeah, been so I know. much fun. I, I have a, I always feel really guilty, but at the same time, what do you do? Right. <laughs> but <laughs> but before we let you go, you are on social media as well, right? You're on you're on I, Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. I am. I'm ranting quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I follow it just for the rants. Rant on, oh, girl. Good, good. Rant it's on. At Carol Howard is my Twitter handle. And then, um, and then I have like a, a website that, you know, I, I update annually. <laughs> yeah. That's carolhowardmerritt.org. And then you get right. Facebook author, Carol Howard Merritt. Yeah, that's it. And then there's, um, 
I have a blog on, on Christian Century too. It's a little hard to find. Um, if you go to the Christian Century site and click on blogs and I'm there on the top. Very cool. Perfect. Well, keep writing. Man. Please. Please. All right. Well, thank you so much. You, you, you're too kind. Oh, it's, nice. it's, it's amazing. We can't recommend it enough. Adam and I both um, thoroughly enjoyed it. And like I said, I think um, shame on us for taking this long to have you on specifically about this topic. Um, we have young children. Yeah. We're, we're very scatterbrained. <laughs> we're all, yeah. If it wasn't for well, eye calendars, we'd be in huge trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always happy to, to come back anytime. Fantastic. Awesome. We'll definitely make that happen. Well, thank you so much. You're the and, bomb, uh, Carol. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So much there. So good. Uh, I, I really feel like, like you said, that hour went by so quickly. Um, I mean, we had so many other questions and there's so much more in the book. Um, and again, I, I can't encourage people enough to go ahead and just get the book. Got to get this book. She's got, she's got methods in there of, of helping to deal with your, your spiritual wounds. She's yep. got different practices and, and things that you can do in the book that she talks about that we didn't even get a chance to get to. Um, that are hugely helpful. Um, some different meditations and some prayers and some things that that, that you can do. Um, so yeah, please go out and get the book if you like it. Um, those of you who are are jamming on our uh, book of the month club, this might be one that goes out soon. So I think so too, man. Yeah. I think we I think we we definitely maybe that's February's book. Huh? Could do that. Um, there are so many things that I could say right now that I'm literally I'm just kind of bubbling. Like there's. There's just so, so many things. First, first thing that I want to say is that even though we did an episode with um, a wonderful person like Carol Howard Merritt on healing spiritual wounds, let, let, me just, let me start by saying if you are in a place where you are deeply wounded by um, a church or um, a religion or a religious leader or you know something in, in those veins, maybe even it's your parents, but there's a deep religious connection there. It could be a spouse and there's a deep religious connection there. And there's a religious component. There's a religious element to your, to your wounding right now. And maybe this was an episode that was tough for you to listen to because it's just making that pain feel incredibly acute right now. You don't have to rush like into this. Like we're not peddling solutions. We're not trying to say like, oh, it's all going to be okay. And look, you can just say shalom and it'll all be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard, man. It's hard. It's so hard to be hurt, to be betrayed, to be wounded, to be abused. And we are trying to take that very, very seriously right now. So if that's you, if you're in a place where it's, it's, really hard to even imagine healing uh, from religious or spiritual wounds. That's okay. Just like she said, like it's not a solution. Like sit in that space. Yeah. Find some people to talk to about it and don't, don't rush it and don't imagine a healing that becomes uh, a goal that you have to hold yourself to. You got to let it happen naturally. 
And that means feeling where you're at. So just, I needed to like kind of say that because, you know, we definitely don't want to be somebody that's like, hey, have you been spiritually wounded? Well, here's a book. Yeah. You know, read this book and you'll be fine. <laughs> right. I, that's not what she's saying. That's not what we're saying. Right. So if that's you, we're really, really sorry. And um, if we can help at all, you know, if you want to share your story with us or whatever, please, you know, contact us. And we'd love to let you vent a little bit and yeah. say, okay, yeah, we've been there too. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just, I don't know. My, my thoughts, I think, I guess on the interview are just, I, I appreciated her approach to it, which is also very similar to what you just said. Um, her, her instinct was not to, um, not to give advice or to, you know, to pick her favorite, uh, Bible verse, but to say, you know what? Like, yeah, you are good. Yeah. You are good. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's what we really need to hear. No, that's, that's always what we really, really need to hear. Yeah. So we don't believe it either, either. Yeah. I'm sorry. That sucks. Cause life is hard. Yeah. And sometimes it sucks. Totally. Or, you know, followed by, but it's okay. You are good. Yeah. Like, I know I needed to hear that. I, I, I was absolutely serious when I said, when I read that part in the book, it, it caught, me, caught me off guard. I was a little mm. emotional when I was reading it. I was just almost as if I needed to hear it and didn't know it. We all need to hear it. Yeah. Because I, I, think, I think the instinct, and I think for a lot of us, our upbringings, regardless of denomination, is that we are taught that, um, you know, from Adam and Eve on, from birth, that we are not good. Right. We are bad. And there's nothing you can do about it. You, you started out in the negative, uh, so to speak. And, uh, you know, that does a psychological number, I think. It does, man. And, you know, w- one of the things I learned as a pastor uh, that was like, oh, it was one of those heavy moments, right? It was like, yeah. oh, crap. Like, okay. So anytime religion is involved in wounding, and she even talks about this a little bit in the book. There's this element because it's related to God and God, you know, even if you're not a Christian, even if you just want to use God in the psychological terms, like Lacan would of like the big other, like, you know, this voice that tells you if you're okay or not, you know, this voice that you measure yourself against this, this external, you know, weighing in on you. The reason these wounds are so, you know, and, and hearing that you're okay and hearing that you're good, the reason these things are so important is if you're spiritually wounded, whether you mean to or not, you are going to process that emotionally and psychologically as a judgment on who you are as a person. It's going to feel like an indictment. It's going to feel like a judgment. It's going to feel like um, you're receiving something. And so it must mean you're a bad person or it must mean that you're not worth a better life or it must mean that you weren't worth protecting or it must mean blah, 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 blah. And all of that is bogus. It's just baloney. And so we need to go back and start with like, no, before any of this, I'm okay. Before any of this, there's grace. Before any of this, I'm accepted. Before any of this, I'm loved. Before any of this, I belong. Before any of this, I matter. Before, 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 before. And it kind of, 
innocuous, not, it, it kind of, uh, like, almost, like, like, solves the problem of, like, yeah, the hurt happened, but if you can deal with the fact that that hurt doesn't need to be the judge of who you are, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unnecessary suffering that you can kind of get out of. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we were just talking about this before we started recording. It's, it's funny, like, we, we were just talking about um, um, how, how we view the crucifixion. Oh, right. And it's like, you know, the ultimate uh, example of where God says, yeah, you guys did some, some naughty things, <laughs> some a, very naughty things. Terrible stuff down there. You killed my son. That's yeah. not cool, guys. But it's this ultimate example of, of God having this moment where he could say, you know what? This this creation thing was a bad idea. I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe it clean and start over. Yeah. But he forgives us. Right. And so if God can forgive you in the ultimate moment, but you can't forgive yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You you really have to look at that. And so I think I think we need to do a better job of forgiving ourselves. And and like Carol Mara says in the book, it's huge. You know, like love of self. <laughs> that's that's part of the. Dude, it's part of it. There's so many versions of myself. I can tell you what ages they were. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I hate that guy. I wish he would stop following me around wherever I go because I really hate that guy. Yeah. And I'm probably going to hate like this guy at some point. Yeah. <laughs> That's just kind of how it goes, man. It's part of, part of it. And we do. We carry around a lot of self-hate that then makes it really impossible for us to cope well with life and love others and be spacious yeah. and have big interior lives that are generous and and spacious for others, you know. This is just great conversation. I think anybody that's gone through, um, if you've gone through like deconstruction and you've ever been open about it, it's probably brought some kind of spiritual wounding. Yeah. You've had friends tell you you're nuts or that you're going to hell or, you know, that you're backsliding or, you know, yeah. you know all kinds of things. And, and we, we do, we chuckle about that because we have to. Yeah. Because it is funny in, in a sense of tragedy and tragedy is funny, but it also freaking sucks yeah can you backslide to christianity by the way yeah, if, you're an atheist? If, you're, if you're an atheist you can backslide to christianity yeah for sure. Like, oh sorry guys you, you go you go to your atheist meetings and you're like guys i i went to church this week i read a couple of verses yeah i read i read some c.s lewis <laughs> he's just such a good writer he's so good don't hold it against me <laughs> oh man Anyway, this was just a really um, important episode. I'm glad we got to kick the year off with Carol Howard Merritt. Um, she was delightful. Yeah. And, and just awesome. Just the kind of person I want to freaking surround myself with and so fun. send my friends to. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, sending our friends. You guys are our friends. Go to Carol Howard Merritt. Consume her content. Follow her on social media. Have conversations around it. Yes. And um, the band this week. The band. Who did we use? Uh... You're gonna know. I think I think we're using J.R. Richards this week, and uh, the name will probably not ring a bell right off the top, uh, but you'll probably recognize his voice, and you'd probably better recognize him from his 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 band from the early 2000s. Uh, but um, you probably know him from Dishwalla, oh, more likely. Get out of here! Yeah. Get out of it. You are, you're so full of surprises. So, uh, yeah. So, Counting Blue Cars is like, of course, everybody knows that one. But then if you only knew Dishwalla by Counting Blue Cars, then you would have missed all of their amazing music on Ladder albums and his solo music, uh, which would be um, featured on this 
on this podcast. You do great work, John. So reach out, tell him you love him and that you enjoy his sweet angelic voice. And uh, as always, follow our playlists on Spotify and Apple Music. We uh, update those weekly with whoever the musical guest is in that particular podcast episode so you can follow along. And uh, it's getting nice and lengthy, which I like. It is. A couple other things. Um, if uh, you haven't, check out our website. Yes. It's been revamped in the past you know, a few months or so. Ryan Battles, thank you very much. Um, on there, you will also see ways to get involved and connected. There's a journal. We've got guest bloggers. We've got you know, stuff from me and John. You can access all our episodes. And a little plug for Patreon. Our book club is exploding. Yes. People are digging the fact that for 35 bucks a month, we send you a crisp, new, <laughs> delicious diet of deconstruction. Mm. And you get to kind of do it with others. And it's you know stuff that we've read. And if you ever want to reach out and give us your thoughts, it's just a lot of fun. So for 35 bucks a month, you're going to be able to support yep. one of your favorite podcasts and get a book. It's a deal. And, and what else? We have another special thing going on. No matter what amount that you pledge... Um, you actually are eligible to become part of this special project we're working on right now. Oh yeah, we're going to be launching that soon. Yeah, so so any any amount you pledge, uh, basically three dollars or more, I think is what it is. Yeah, we couldn't get it. We had to like redo everything to get it to one dollar. We yeah. wanted to get it to one dollar, and it was just difficult. So it's we got weird. it as low as we could. Yes. So three dollars a month if you pledge to that, which is less than uh, a Starbucks cup of coffee that you probably buy. At least daily, if not Even other. Even if you only do it for a couple months, you're still yeah. going to be involved, and then you can just shut it off. So, so what is it though? <laughs> so, so once they pledge any amount, we want to hear your stories. More, we're going to schedule Skype interviews. Yes, kind of like Derek Webb is doing with the whole airing of grief thing, which is a really cool idea, and it's something we've always wanted to do. Yeah, and um, we're really going to be committed this year to mm-hmm. sharing your stories with the deconstructionist audience. We want to know. Um, some things you've learned, some places you've been, and what deconstruction means to you. Um, and we want to schedule these Skype interviews, and we're going to use a lot of them throughout this year. So yeah, we're going to make a bunch of slots available. They're going to be limited. Yep. And we're going to do our best, and we'll probably do it again. So don't worry. Yeah. But um, let's let's make that happen. Yeah. Tell us if you want to be a part of that. Get on Patreon for at least three bucks a month, and that is all. I'm yeah. T- I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm ready to go home and go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, nighttime. I have to watch the new episode of The X-Files, too, because it's that time of year. So you, you should do that. Clay, me and you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be over by the time this airs, but that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun getting back into the saddle with uh, all you folks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sharing this. Thanks for being a part of this. We love you. We love you. We love you. For now, we are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Welcome to 2018, everybody. <laughs> Sweet life, I know how we give it all. Hold me up, hold me up into the sun, watch me burn. Come on, done. It can come apart when everything seems lost. How I try to find what to believe and to believe in Answer my life and I read 
Watch me here. 